0: Hi, folks. Welcome to the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pits the Podium. Somal Aurora here. I'm the host of The Driving Force on Disney Plus Hotstar. Joined by Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team. And it's not a race weekend this time out. So we're trying to take out a little bit more time to figure out what exactly is going on with these two timeless F1 classics. One being a driver, the other being a circuit. And, and notice the description, right? Timeless, because they've been there for seemingly years. But suddenly, it seems like there probably is a reason why they could not be there for longer. And that's exactly what we're going to discuss. And of course, the people, the person and the track in question is Sebastian Vettel and Monaco. But firstly, Kunal, Sebastian Vettel, I think that's what we should focus on. And everyone might be wondering, why exactly are we talking about Sebastian Vettel? But it's probably a good time to do so, considering how the season has begun and what the last few years have actually looked like for him.
1: Absolutely, some Non-Grand Prix weekend, but timeless classics that we are speaking about. I actually see a common thread between Fettel and, and Monaco, just uh, mm-hmm. the way you said as well, because, you know, both are old school. Both are legendary in their own ways. Uh, both have had their time shining, uh, you know, in, in Formula One. You know, we've seen some grand races from Fettel. And we've some very, we've seen some very exciting or few exciting races in Monaco as well. I think both Fettel uh, <laughs> and Monaco are very statesmen, very royal, very loved. Uh, you know, of course, the only thing is, you know, Fettel is more subdued and to himself, whereas Monaco is very pomp and and public, as I would say. Uh, but yes, you know, I think both are relying more on past glory than Mm -hmm. present and maybe future possibilities to stay in Formula One. And uh, let's focus on Sebastian Vettel because, my God, he's had the worst start to a season ever, right? He missed two races. Uh, Australia was uh, his first race uh, last weekend. Three crashes and spins. Uh, You know, very un-Sebastian Vettel-like. You know, the team is out in support saying we're not giving him the tools. And... You know, former drivers are questioning, will he be motivated? Is this going to be the last season that we see Sebastian Vettel? And maybe you and I should just discuss what can become of Sebastian Vettel in 2022 and onwards.
0: Yeah, that's that's such a good point because it's not like he had a few spins and a crash in a, bad, in a good car. Right? It was also a bad car that was extremely slow throughout the weekend. So it's not like there's even that slight glimmer of hope. But... It's, it's absurd, isn't it? Because Sebastian Vettel, since 2014, Kunal, has, has been seemingly on a bit of a roller coaster in terms of his performance. And this 2022 season kind of offered a new chance maybe to see him in a leading light after a couple of podiums last year. But from what we've seen so far, Aston Martin are nowhere to be seen. Vettel's performance is nowhere to be seen. Uh, I just wonder what could happen next eventually. Uh, because let's be honest, he has a contract. That's pretty clear. But what do you want to drive? That That's the most important car by important I think he'd want to
1: try it. the question is which car would yeah, he like to try exactly. and it may not be that British racing green car, even though it looks really sexy. I must say that you know um it's 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 it's, it's gonna let let's see how it all evolves in the whole Sebastian fettel uh you know side of things this season you know his his legacy is now far overwritten from his dominant days in twenty uh you know, twenty ten to twenty thirteen that we saw them, mm-hmm. the exhaust blown diffuser era, the the Renault V eight that, you know, drove them uh drove him in Red Bull racing through those four titles. But like you said, the hybrid era, he's just not had anything which would you know not a single season where one would say that was a Sebastian Vettel season that we would remember you know yeah. bear in mind we've actually had a season where we remember Nico Rosberg and then we of course remember Max Verstappen as well so uh, you know the question that everybody's asking is will Vettel go should he go and the question we are asking is if he does go what should he do what what can sort of get there with him because you know Sundaram, uh, who's very famously known as the F1 stats guru, Somal. He mm-hmm. came up with some fantastic stats, and uh, I know if you've got a you've got a stat from Hockenheim which you're going you know which you'd like to share. My stat, which is a very shocking stat, is that the last time Fettel finished three successive races in the points was uh, you know back in 2021, which was of course just last year which was Monaco, Azerbaijan, and then France. But the the time before that was actually back in 2019, which was Germany, Hungary, and then Belgium.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his, his performance has just been absurd in the last couple of years. And I think we all can agree on the fact that his turning point has been Germany 2018, which is kind of backed up by the stat, isn't it? Because Sundaram has come up and said that since Germany 2018, He's just won two races, Belgium 2018, which, of course, he won on merit. But Singapore 2019, which was kind of gifted in a way because of that old strategy decision and Ferrari getting back to it. It's not been the same Sebastian Vettel, quite clearly, we can tell. And this kind of pops up the question, right? Sebastian Vettel, let's say, doesn't want to drive for Aston Martin because A, there's no decent car. B, there's no representative teammate. C, of course... Vettel we all know Vettel loves to spend time with his family right so of course it'll kind of make sense to do that again speculation all that but even if he doesn't right which other team would want him because let's be honest the performances in the last few years have just been uh average for a Formula One drive, if you can put it that way I, I mean I love Sebastian Vettel but it's just what the things are Kunal isn't it it is and you mentioned an interesting
1: point about Vettel and uh you know, t- partnering Lance Stroll and not having as representative a teammate. And, you know, the last representative teammate that Vettel actually had was uh, probably Daniel Ricardo back in, in Red Bull, you know, because Raikkonen, you know, Kimi Raikkonen, the great Kimi Raikkonen wasn't. Really, as quick in his second uh, stint at Ferrari. At least that's what we'd all love to believe. Hmm. Then you know he's he's at Lance Stroll as well. So I don't know if having a more competitive teammate would have actually motivated him further, Samuel. Because it's been a while since you know Fettel's been challenged as as uh, you know challenged in the same team as well. And you're right. You know why would another Formula One team? actually be interested in hiring Vettel apart from the fact that you know he's a four times Formula One world champion much loved very humble very royal all of that but hey you actually that doesn't really make you quicker right because that's otherwise Vettel would have been a little more quicker I guess.
0: Which is exactly what my entire question was about the Aston Martin driver lineup ever since the first couple of races last year about what exactly are they trying to achieve here Vettel isn't really the fastest anymore. And launch toll, as we all know, is, is, is kind of necessary to keep the team running, right? So, maybe they could have gone for a bit of a more faster statesman in a way. But it's sad to see things turn out this way. But it's evident. The last time Vettel was with a more competitive team, he got beaten by Charles Leclerc, as Sundaram has pointed out. Yes. 65 points in 2020 and 24 points in 2019. That was the difference between Vettel and Leclerc, with Vettel always being behind in that case. So, uh, I... It does it shouldn't feel like we're raining down on the Vettel Parade here, but just just stating things as they are. Yeah, and it's like
1: what? Would it take for Fettel to actually get out of this rut? Not yeah. just as a team, but even as a driver. All the all the spins and crashes that we've seen, which you know have become very characteristic, Vettel. Uh So, not sure what can become uh, you know of it here from here. But Samuel, since we're going to speak about Monaco, uh, you know, in a few minutes from now, uh, you know, I thought maybe Fettel should take over as the chief uh, circuit uh, chief executive officer of Monaco, and then see how he can turn that circuit around for it to be able able to host interesting formula one races you know given that <laughs> he'd love to be a part of anything old school uh formula one but yeah on, on a more serious note you know uh, the question that has to be asked is is he going to retire from formula one i think I, i'm going to split the answer if i was mm-hmm. to you know uh, answer this question of course i'm not fettle uh and i've asked myself t- the question but <laughs> i think i think he'll, he'll probably quit racing formula one cars but he I would love to see him do what Fernando Alonso did, you know, uh, which is still continue racing other cars. To You know, he loves driving. All these drivers in Formula One are not because they love driving Formula One cars. Yeah, They love driving cars. And Formula One just happens to be one of the most technologically advanced most challenging cars that you know a human being could end up driving so i'd love to see Fettel go down the alonso road and say you know what i'm gonna do the dakar rally once because hey again it's old school Uh, we've anyway seen him you know win the the race of champions multiple times on various different tarmacs so could he do rallying could he do rally cross can he just go take a break where he enjoys that driving doesn't have the stresses of you know being operating operating in a formula one team doesn't have all the emotional drama and the politics that comes with it give me cool machinery let him just go have fun maybe that could reignite some more passion in in Vettel and who knows I uh, come back and come back to formula one
0: maybe Vettel in the Clio Cup or something like that because another factor <laughs> that will impact him is the calendar. Now, the calendar is, is immensely crazy. It's so crazy now that just a day or two before this recording, Pirelli reportedly were having trouble finding space for a tyre test. So I mean, imagine how much better it would be if Vettel didn't have to spend all that track uh, time at the racetracks. But hey, that's just one aspect of it. But it's yeah, it's a, it's a bit sad how things are working off for Sebastian Vettel. But my final pitch for Vettel would be ambassador for Formula One. There just cannot be someone better. I mean, in terms of humanitarian aspect, in terms of what Formula One stands for. He's just the perfect person to embody the sport and, and to maybe go around spreading it. Perfect. I mean, th- that, that would be a match made in heaven. But only if he agrees with the stance that F1 is actually taking on its V-Races 1 campaign because I doubt that there'll be some friction over there. I guess so. You know, if there was one race,
1: I would have loved to see Vettel race in in 2022, which would have been Saudi Arabia. And oh. it's uh, it's uh, it's been a bit surprising. Nobody's actually gone and asked him what would he have done had <laughs> he been in Saudi Arabia when that missile strike happened. But, you know, that's just how it goes. And uh, let's just enjoy Vettel as much as we get of him. Because it doesn't seem too likely that you know he's going to continue unless that Aston Martin is up there fighting with at least the McLarens and the Alpines and giving Fettel to have some fun and giving him a reason uh, to stay away from his family on such tight uh, yeah. calendar, such long calendar sommel. So let's see how, how how that goes. And you know the question also has to be asked: uh, Would Aston Martin then replace Vettel with the Hulkenberg? Or given the brand that they embody and the brand that they represent, do they need a you know a a a, a, a driver with the, the sort of credentials that Fettel comes with? And this is where the question was asked, saying, would Alonso then just jump ship to Aston Martin at sure. some point? Of course, it's one of those silly questions, but at this moment, I think Aston Martin needs more than just their strong brand and lineage and heritage to attract a star quality driver, Sommel.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Even if they kind of let him drive the James Bond car, I mean, th- that probably isn't like the most attractive thing for any driver right now. Right? They barely have a car. And I'll just say it in a serial bit more tone, they need the driver and the engine. Uh, uh, sorry, I just kind of butchered that, but there's that. <laughs> a car, a driver and a car, But because Lance Stroll is just kind of not really working out well. But I think that's enough on Rainer and Aston Martin and Sebastian Vettel. We can talk about... A circuit that kind of now feels like the Aston Martin of Formula One. Beautiful, lovely, everybody likes it. But in terms of functionality, it's kind of falling back behind Monaco Canal. And and Roman Grosjean had a really good point about trying to make racing better at Formula One circuits. He said, why invest so much in the cars when we can just have wider circuits? Monaco obviously doesn't fit that bill. Sundaram's come up with a lovely stat, F1 Stats Guru, don't forget to check him out, which says that on an average since 2017, there's only been two overtakes per race at Monaco. There's just a growing frustration among Formula 1 fans, including us for years, that Monaco just isn't fit for the purpose anymore. So m- my question is, is, Mo- is Monaco actually giving Formula... Is uh, I'm sorry, is Monaco actually taking more from Formula 1 than it's giving back? Because the heritage aspect of it, the marketing aspect of it, Is it still as valuable as it was before? You know what,
1: Samuel? I think people who are giving very clear, uh, who are taking very clear sides on this whole Monaco discussion fall in two very distinct categories in my Uh view. First is those who have actually seen a Formula One car live across, around the circuit of Monaco. Hmm. And those who have only seen it and heard about it on TV and, you know, podcasts and 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 read about it. Right. So to me, the discussion about Monaco seems a little baseless at this moment, because I'm one of those who will say, you know what? Keep Monaco. It is hmm. still the crown jewel. Uh, it is still historic. It is still such a legendary circuit. But yes, can we try and see if we can make some changes to get Monaco to be more interesting? Because Depending, again, on who you ask, I don't think the problem is the circuit. I think the problem are these cars, right? And again, whether it's the 2021 car or the 2022 car, just the fact that these cars are big and bulky and wide is what makes Monaco such uh, a boring race. And, you know, my, my favorite way to explain Monaco is that despite having all the elements to make it as unpredictable as possible, It still gives us a very predictable Grand Prix weekend. We have all the glamorous parties. We have those daredevilry pole position qualifying laps Hmm. on a Saturday. And then we, more often than not, have a pouring race on Sunday.
0: Yeah. Right?
1: Which is. Pretty Monaco, I would say. So again, you know, I, I still go back to saying it's not the circuit; it's the cars. And yes, we found ourselves in this situation. It shouldn't just be that we give Formula One drivers Formula E cars to go racing on that one weekend of the year. But uh, it's it's uh, it's about uh, you know it's 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 about making sure that Monaco stays on the calendar. Because another puzzling part for me, Samuel, is that mm-hmm. Monaco's place in the formula 1 calendar and i don't i don't just mean the physical date i mean the
0: yeah.
1: the 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 emotion that it comes with you know the crown jewel this is where all the money's made all the big celebrities are seen that is being questioned even before a single lap has been driven in las vegas and in miami and yeah. suddenly it's it's this assumption that las vegas and miami will just automatically bring all the money and the celebrities and market formula one as a very aspirational and a premium
0: sport so i think let's not just jump the gun guys yeah, but you've got a wonder canal uh, because formula one now is a tv spectacle isn't it and we, we can't change the cars anymore formula one is clear that this is the direction we're going with. So we, we we just can't go any other way. We are going for longer cars, we are going for wider cars. And yes, we've seen that Formula E cars can produce a much better show at the circuit. But if that's not happening, you've got to wonder if if it's still fit for purpose. Because many times it has happened that cricket teams and football teams and most notably American football teams have kind of demolished their old stadiums and moved on because it just wasn't big enough for them anymore. Is is Formula One too big for Monaco now in that sense? I mean, literally because of the cars, but also because at the end of the day, it's a TV spectacle. And, and one might wonder, well, it doesn't matter where they race so long as they produce a good show. And Monaco is consistently not making up for good a good show. So I think that, that, that is one aspect, isn't it?
1: I think what you're saying is very uh, true. Uh, it also brings into focus what Toto Wolff just said a few days ago. He said, do fans... Watching on television really care where Formula One races so long as there is entertainment, so long as there is, Hmm. uh, you know, good racing that happens. And I'll put it this way, that every circuit on the calendar uh, is known for some certain characteristics, like Baku, for example, is known for its really long, massive straights. That yep. end up having some sort of entertainment, and Baku being one of the more recent circuits added. If you speak to you know one of the old timers, Monza will always be known for the parabolica and the the deg you know the the Lesmos, uh, Suzuka will be known for the esses and the degners and the like. So to me, Monaco of course has its own you know uh, corners as well, like the swimming pool section or the the rascas or something. But pretty much all of Monaco is what is the challenge. For Formula One, it's not just one corner or the other. It's the very fact that you're racing so quick, uh, so close to the barriers, especially in these big, bulky cars. So, the challenge of Monaco, at least in my view, isn't something that is offered by any other circuit in entirety. On the current calendar, so yes, we've got some high-speed uh, circuits, uh, street circuits like Jeddah that we just you know sort of raced at, but it still didn't offer the kind of challenge that Monaco offers, uh, you know, with uh, w- with the whole circuit layout that it's got. So unless we are able to sort of bring that in elsewhere,
0: hmm. I
1: don't understand why why Monaco's place is suddenly being questioned. And maybe actually, Samuel, this is a good time to ask why is Monaco's uh, position suddenly being put under question and the obvious thing is the calendar is expanding you know there are more races uh, uh, that are being uh, you know placed in different markets around the world so something has to give way somebody yeah. has to give way uh, Monaco's contract expires at the end of this race which is you know uh, in the end of May uh, so I believe all these conversations of course are uh, tactics to put pressure uh, on Monaco to sign on terms that actually favour Formula One more than Monaco, because up until now uh, the the terms that were always signed off uh, on favoured Monaco more yeah. than Formula One. So it's Formula One saying, "Hey, let's now talk as equals," or "Hey, maybe I'm still I'm I'm getting bigger a sport than you're getting bigger as as a Grand Prix."
0: Yeah, that's that's a good point, but. What I'm really interested to see is if we call Monaco the crown jewel, shouldn't we be doing more to make it feel like the crown jewel? Now, this kind of comes up with Indianapolis. Now, Indianapolis is, again, just like Monaco, much much unlike any other circuit on the calendar. It has its own challenges a whole different structure to the weekend, but because of the different structure to the weekend, because of the different point structure, because of all the extra glamour added, Indianapolis literally feels like the crown jewel of the Indy 500 because they of the Indy car series, I mean to say, because they've kind of given a separate prestige to it. With Monaco, there's that prestige, but it's it's only like a virtual prestige. There's no real prize added to it, nothing extra as such. So, maybe Kunal, do do you think that would kind of work out as well? Maybe adding that extra points-based prestige to Monaco if... If it really is that much of a challenge or... Because normally, as, as it is right now, with the same amount of points, same we can structure, everything quite like that. It just feels like yet another race, but just one race that's not as entertaining on TV. At least, uh, again, you could tell that that's, that's the kind of opinion of someone who's not been to Monaco for a race, but there's that.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll put it this way, Samuel, that at the end of the day, uh, there are two separate metrics for discussion mm. here. As a fan... Uh, you and I want entertaining races. And for that, yeah. could the promoters, of course, do something to try and change the layout a little bit uh, to try and add some more spaces where overtaking could at least be made possible? Now, the answer to this is it's not as easy because, hey, it's literally around the historic streets of Monaco right yeah. so that's something the only the FIA and then the promoters can sit down and see what is it that they can do to try and make ra- to try and increase the raceability as as Ross Brown puts it uh, around the streets of monaco so that's what a fan is expecting that hey let's race in monaco i don't care but give me better racing i don't want it to be that uh, you know the qualifying order is pretty much what the race order could be unless there are some movements that happen in the pit stops right
0: yeah
1: but the metric that Stefano Dominicali, Formula One, and the entire team is following is, I just need more money from Monaco to justify its place. <laughs> I just need more terms that are more favorable to Formula One to justify its place in Formula One. We will then figure how to justify uh, the lack of overtaking that could happen, even if we end up racing in Monaco for the next five years. So my view is that if Formula One gets the terms it wants from Monaco, we will still end up racing in Monaco come 2023.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, if Formula One can justify a lack of safety and security in Saudi Arabia, they can surely justify a lack of overtakes, right? That That's not a major problem. That shouldn't be a major issue as such. But I don't know, Kunal. I feel like this relationship with Monaco is a lot like the relationship with Ferrari, that Formula One and Ferrari just often tend to pull away in other directions and kind of look at their own self-interest. But at the end of the day, you can't imagine the sport without them. I don't think Ferrari and Monaco are ever going to go away, regardless of what the whole situation with the cars or the promoter or the racing is going to be like. But I just think that if we really want to make better racing in the long run, just make the cars smaller and maybe less wide and maybe more nimble and agile. Okay, I'm a 2000s Formula One fan, but there's that. But this new generation looks exciting. I think we should still judge Monaco on what's going to come up and hopefully these cars can end up being good. And maybe that'll be a good litmus test of sorts, wouldn't it?
1: Could be. And, you know, since the the new cars can't be changed and knowing how Liberty Media's, you know, had such a hands-on approach in changing things in Formula 1, I would trust them to find a commercial solution that works for Formula 1 as well as a sporting solution that helps get us good racing in Monaco as well. So I just... Hope that we see Monaco for several more years to come. I think that challenge is still, uh, you know, something that no other circuit offers, uh, at least on the current Formula One calendar. Song.
0: No, likewise. Uh, it, it is quite something in terms of the glamour, in terms of the whole weekend, in terms of the prestige. But I don't know, you've you just got to find a way to make it more entertaining because then the association with Monaco becomes a dud. Nobody's going to want to watch that. And, and that shouldn't be the case at all. But, folks, that's just our thoughts on Sebastian Vettel and Monaco on the whole. What are your takes on that? And I know that you will have quite a few of those because this is a bit of, bit of an incendiary-like topic that kind of will enrage quite a few flames. But folks, let us know your thoughts on social media. Leave a good rating for the podcast if you enjoyed what you heard in this past few moments. And of course, leave a good like, leave a share, whatever the good stuff you have to do on the internet. And folks, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And we shall be back with the Imola Grand Prix, or the sorry, uh, Grand Premier to Emilia Romagna Grand Prix coverage right here on the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pitch the rather soon. Bye bye.